The Sanctuary, a community of Jesus people promoting the glory of God in all things to all nations through gospel-centered missional living. Whether it be working with groups in Africa to build orphanages and help rid the continent of AIDS, or feeding the hungry, giving to the oppressed, and helping the hurting who live in our own community, The Sanctuary invites you to be part of a culture of passionate service. You can change your world. Be inspired. Join the movement. 2 Corinthians will be in uh, chapter 8 and 9 today as we begin, or we continue to walk our way through through the book. Um, in, I think this was uh, 2017, so two years ago, um, an organization called Giving USA, which is a, a nonprofit, separate organization uh, that just tracks charitable giving in the United States. And it's called Giving USA. And they put in an annual report uh, about how people in America give to charitable causes throughout the year. So these are some of their numbers from, uh, from two years ago. First of all, in, in that year, there was $410 billion that was given by Americans to charitable causes. That's a lot of money. $410 billion given by Americans to all kinds of charitable causes. Now, I think half of that was probably Girl Scout cookies, maybe. Um, so I don't know if we count that part of it. Um, but anything even like that would be contributed, co- contributions to charitable causes. Now, out of that, $410 billion, 127 and almost 128 almost $128 billion was given to religions, to religious causes during that same time period. Now, what does that look like? That's a big number, right? Like, we can't even comprehend what that kind of a number is. So what does that look like if we break it down to like a a local level? Um, Things that happen in our local churches, what does that begin to look like in here? Well, they started doing studies on on local congregations, giving patterns of people that are in churches. And so here's what they find out. They find out that tithers, people who give, this is their definition was they give a percentage regularly. Now that percentage might be 1% and it might be 80%. So that became sort of irrelevant to the study so much as these are people who give a regular percentage of their income on a regular basis. So tithers. Tithers make up only 10 to 25% of any congregation. So somewhere around 20, if we're at the high level here, one out of four of us is a tither. We give a regular percentage on a regular basis to a church. Uh, Eight out of 10 people who give to churches have zero credit card debt. Now, some of us know that pinch, man. We know what that's like. We're so inundated either with the credit card debt or some kind of debt that it kind of makes it almost impossible for, ha- for us to have any kind of wiggle room uh, to give otherwise. So we find that biblical concept of reducing debt as much as possible to be true in how we give. It tends to be a, 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 dis- a demotivator for people to give. On average... Christians give 2.5% of their income to churches on average. So somebody's on the high end of this. Y'all understand that, right? Somebody's over here, like the the richest guy in the neighborhood, his house value drags your house value up, okay? So there's somebody on this end of the spectrum who's giving a lot, and there's a lot of people on the back end of the spectrum giving very little. 2.5% Christians average, that's what they give to churches. Now here's what really gets even more a kick in the solar plexus. You ready? Families making 75000 or more donate less than 1% of their income to churches. Now, we, now you've fallen below the mean average. 
2.5% for everybody else, over 75,000, 1%. Now you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why is it that when I'm making more, I give less? Right? So these are, these are the numbers that speak into how we give. Then they started saying, well, people that give, why do they give? What motivates somebody to give to a, an organization in a church in particular? First of all, these are the things that they listed. Uh, an organization or a church that's missionally driven. Clear mission, what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, next one is a, a church or an organization that's making uh, a difference. They're doing something in their community or, or in their nation or world or something that's making a difference. The next thing, personal satisfaction. I give and that makes me feel good to give. Next thing, family upbringing. My parents taught me how to give. Next thing, personal stories. Hearing the impact of what their giving does. Seeing the impact of, of what their giving is accomplishing. Huge motivator. Next thing, religious beliefs. Some people are giving because the Bible tells them to give. And that's why they're giving. Now, why do people stop giving? So I'm a regular giver, da 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 but then at some point or another, people can tend to drop off. Why is that? They look at whatever they're giving to, and they're thinking, my giving doesn't make any difference there. It's not having any impact on anything. That organization's not having an impact on anything. I'm just some small part of the machine. It doesn't matter whether or not that I give. So that's something that can demotivate someone from giving. So as we're going to go into 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul has these two chapters um, about an offering um, that's being taken up for one of the churches there. And so as you have those stats in mind, that's kind of fresh in your head, we also need to remember what we've just talked about. The other thing that Paul has talked to us about over the last couple of weeks, where he's at, like in this point in the letter, we're taking this letter and cutting it up into 10 or 11 weeks. Um, They would have read this right in a row. So where is he at this point in the letter? He's just said this. This is what we just finished talking about. He's like, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Jesus has loved you. God has loved you. He came and he died for you. He saved you. He's changing your life, transforming your life on a regular daily basis. Don't live like that doesn't matter. Don't walk out of here singing these songs, celebrating Jesus, and then daily live like that really doesn't impact who I am or what I do. So he says, don't receive the grace of God in vain. And God has given us all these great promises. He's changing us and saving us and preparing a a future home for us in heaven one day. And he's like, we've received all these promises. So he says, cleanse yourself and perfect your holiness. That's what we talked about last week. So the gospel is amazing. God's given us all these promises. Don't live like it doesn't matter. Cleanse yourself on a daily basis. Work that, that holiness into your lifestyle every, every day. Then he has three practical ways that that looks. So that's a great idea. We go, amen. Paul, what does that look like? He says, first of all, that looks like in your relationships with other believers, be right with people. Be reconciled to other believers. Where there's brokenness, be right with people. The second thing he says, the gospel's great. God has great promises for us. The second thing, he's like, live in, in a right relationship with lost people. So his first two applications of the gospel being amazing and God's promises being incredible are our relationships with others. Relationships with other Christians and then relationships with lost people. We've talked about that. The third thing he's going to talk about, so his main application points of the gospel being amazing and God's great promises being true for us are relationships and money. I would say relationships and resources, if that makes everybody a little more comfortable. 
So he's like, you can't receive the gospel of Christ and it not change how you handle the stuff you own. How you handle the resources that you have. So I was, as I was getting ready for this and I got to this point, I just thought this question kind of hit me. How much of my heart's affection and my mind's attention is driven or preoccupied by what I own? How much do I own things and how much do things own me? At some point or another, this gospel that we sing about and we praise the Lord for and we're so grateful for has to seep down into the mundane things of life, which is our stuff and our resources and our money and how we live, how we interact with other people. That's what Paul's going to hit on today. So really, I think, like everything comes back to a belief issue. It's what do you believe? Who are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? Um... What are you seeking satisfaction in? Even in our secular, almost pagan culture now, even our money still says, in God we trust. I don't know if that's true for those of us in the pew. I think a lot of us, it's like, no, in money I trust. In my stuff I trust. In, in the resources, the things that I accumulate, I trust. So what is it that we're actually trusting in? Somewhere underneath this whole conversation about giving and stuff and resources and how we're using it, somewhere underneath all of this has to be some deep-seated belief that God really is better than anything else. If I don't really believe that, I will be mastered by things and resources and money my entire life. I have to really, truly believe that God is better than anything else and everything else. Money, stuff, security, comfort, power, sexuality. Having God is better than everything. And everything belongs to God. And you belong. This is a scriptural argument. Paul makes this this argument somewhere else. He's like, God's better than everything. Okay? First of all. Secondly, he's like, not only is God better than everything, you belong to Christ. Christ belongs to God. And everything we have belongs to him. And he is worth everything I have to give to him. Any requirement that he would make on me, he's worth it. So there has to be some deep-seated belief underneath everything that we talk about today. God really is better. He really is better. This is not a threat. When he asks me for my stuff, when he asks me for my resources, when he asks me for my money, he is protecting me from some lesser thing and turning my heart to something that's greater. And I have to really believe that or this won't make any sense. I'll feel threatened by God the entire time we talk about this today. Okay? So let's look at uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And Paul's going to dig into this pretty hard today. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. He says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. So here's what's happened. A famine has hit Jerusalem. Um, so you don't even have to know geography all that well, but Jerusalem is, is literally smack in the middle of the Middle East. Okay, Egypt's here, Turkey's here, right in the middle of that. Syria, uh, Iran, Persia, Iraq, all that area right there. Saudi Arabia, they're right in the middle of it. Okay, so that part of the world has come to a famine. And Paul um, has established an offering from all the other churches, especially the churches that are up in modern Turkey and Greece and Macedonia, which is a country again. Um, He's organizing an offering from all those churches to help the church back in Jerusalem and in that area 
as they struggle with a famine. So he is setting up this offering, and his point here is, he's like, listen, these Macedonian people who are giving, they don't even have that much. They, they themselves are struggling financially. They themselves are struggling through hard times, but they have given sacrificially and generously. Why? Paul asked that question, he's like, why have they given that way? And his answer is this. He's like, because it's the natural outcome of the gospel. If you really believe that Jesus is more precious than anything else and that he has redeemed our souls and that because of that I have the ability to know and worship this great God, I will naturally give sacrificially and generously. That's Paul's point here. He says, when the gospel meets extreme needs and poverty, the natural result is sacrificial generosity. That's not the extreme. That's not the exception. Paul's point is this is the natural expression of the gospel. Tim Keller said poverty plus gospel uh, plus gospel joy produces riches. Poverty plus gospel joy produces riches. So he's like, these people are hurting. They know you're hurting. They gave sacrificially. They gave generously to you because of the outflow of the gospel, a natural outcome of the gospel. I want to make a quick point here. Money has a very close connection to power. Money and resources have a very, very close connection to power. A lack of money and a lack of resources can make us feel vulnerable to circumstances, to the unknown, to what's staring us right in the face. It's a lack of power over our lives. So as we think about money and power, so you've got the Macedonian church impoverished as they were, struggling as they were, giving sacrificially and generously to the church in Jerusalem, how is that sort of helping them in their situation where they already feel powerless? When we give money and power, here's what I would say about that. It's a way to express faith and trust in Jesus when we have a lot. So we're saying, God, listen, I'm trusting you. I have a lot right now, and I'm going to give sacrificially and generously even when I have a bunch because I believe that God has provided this for me and he will continue to do so and I'm not afraid of losing it. I was powerless to get it in the first place. And this is what you need to remember. You are absolutely powerless to accumulate things unless the Lord gives you the ability to do it. So therefore, because he's given me the ability to have whatever I have, I'm not afraid of losing it because I was powerless to get it in the first place. So even when I have a lot, I can give sacrificially and generously, not worried about losing everything that I've got because God's been faithful to give this to me. So it's a a way to express faith in a lot, but it's also a way to express express faith when I don't have a lot. I can give sacrificially and generously even in my poverty or even in my want, my need. I can still give that way. God has promised to take care of me, So I can give without the fear of not having the things that I need. I am powerless to get these things on my own anyway. Hoarding doesn't help me. Keeping my stuff so that I don't run out of stuff doesn't help. Doesn't help me and it doesn't help the person who's in need. So it's a way to express faith and trust in the Lord and quite frankly, acknowledging my powerlessness on both ends of the spectrum. Second thing, I can restore a little bit of power to somebody who doesn't have power. I can give a little bit of power control over something in someone's life to somebody who doesn't have it right now by giving generously and sacrificially. Third thing, 
I can empower large-scale ministry to the world. Maybe you give $10 here or $20 here. Maybe you, you uh, uh, help us with, with sponsoring a child in Uganda, and you're like, oh, it's only $29 a month. That's, that's huge. You're changing a, a life around the other side of the planet for $30 a month. It's huge. So you're empowering. We can empower large-scale ministry um, on a, on a, a large scale, right, to, to our community or to the entire world. So as we think about how we're giving and, and, and sacrificial generosity, I want you to kind of have that in your head too, um, that it's a way to kind of distribute power, give power back um, to some people who are powerless over their circumstances. Look at verse 8, chapter, um, I'm sorry, chapter 8, verse 7. So Paul says, just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. So he's encouraging the Corinthian church to give to the offering. So it's like, you're good people. You're doing good stuff. You're believing the Lord rightly now. You know, you've kind of got your stuff together from 1 Corinthians. Um, so I'm, I'm applauding you for that. And just as you applaud in your devotional walk with Jesus, abound in this work also. Do great things in this work also. So basically, I think what he's saying, and he'll ask this question in some way or another a couple of times. Paul uses this idea of knowledge. He says, you have this knowledge in you. And he's like, what you have to do is constantly bring your lifestyle um, into alignment with what you know. So you know God is good. You know God's your provider. You know God's going to take care of you. You know God's made these promises to you. Your life, your checkbook, your stuff has to align with that. So it's like you have this knowledge and you're abounding in knowledge. I want you to abound in this great work of generosity because you actually have this trust in God that he's going to take care of you and the promises that he's given you. Bring your lifestyle in alignment with that. So it's this idea that if Jesus sacrificed everything from that for me, and if I'm loved and I'm secure in him, if I'm saved by grace, how should that affect the way that I live? That's the first, easiest, simplest question we should be asking. If I really believe that God has died for me, Christ has come and he's died for me and he's saved me, secured me, how should everything in my life begin to kind of line up with that? Look in uh, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. So Paul is drawing our attention back to Jesus, and he says, look at how Jesus gave. He was rich in ways you can't imagine, but he made himself poor so that you and I can become rich. And he's going to use Jesus as our example of kind of this unimaginable generosity that he's given to us. He's asking us to give like that to other people. That should humble us. How can we accept that kind of generosity from God and not pass it on to other people? So I'm not even going to ask you today. There's two things that we might struggle with in the church maybe more than anything else. First of all, going out and telling somebody, you're a sinner and Jesus died for you and you need to get saved. We struggle with giving the gospel away and we struggle with our money and our stuff. These might be the two biggest things where we just really wrestle with the Lord. But it's the same basic argument that's used throughout Scripture for both of them, and that is this. How can you possibly 
receive the grace and the goodness of God and not give it away to somebody else? And he's asking us the same basic question here. How can Jesus come and give generously to you, sacrificially to you, empty himself so that you can become rich, and then you hoard your stuff and not give it to other people? That's his question. And those two things really do kind of go hand in hand. They're both tied back to the gospel. The gospel is a story of Jesus' generosity, isn't it? Sacrificial generosity. He gave and he gave and he gave. He bled and he died and he gave. He gave all he had to give. And that kind of power and generosity that, that was shown to us on the cross and in the gospel is the same kind of power and generous giving that we're supposed to give to other people with. Christ didn't give us from his spares and his leftovers. He gave us from his riches. It says here that he gave away his riches. He didn't give away from his extras. He became vulnerable for us. He gave all his power and position. uh, Philippians chapter 2 says that. And it's that example that we're called to give to. So this isn't Pastor Joe making up a secondary standard of giving that we're supposed to give to or speaking hyperbole. This is Paul saying, if Jesus gave like that, you should give like that. If he sacrificed himself like that, you should look at how you're using your stuff and sacrificing for the good of other people. Gospel, here's, this is good. Gospel-shaped giving doesn't begin until it considers extremity and scarcity. You're not really giving according to the gospel, how the gospel was given to you, until you start thinking, how is this going to hurt me? When I have to cut that off, when I don't have that luxury anymore, when I don't get to do this anymore, and because I, I want to give to people generously, I don't know if we really step into gospel giving until we start to consider extremity and scarcity. Now, earlier when we talked about why people give, what were the reasons why people gave? And there, was a, there were like seven of them, all very positive. What was not on that list? Here was not on that list, guilt. Guilt is not a motivator, okay? Nobody writes on a paper, I give because I feel bad. Now, we might do that once or twice, but over the long haul, that is not a strong motivator. It's a demotivator, actually. Paul says, why are these people able to give like this? And he says, it's because of joy. They're able to give from joy, Some of us are thinking, well, I have so much and I feel bad about it. Or there's so many needy people and and I'm a bad person because I have so much. These people are giving, Scripture says, from their abundance of joy. And it says from their wealth of their liberality. Not from their wealth of their stuff. We'll, We'll talk about it. The wealth of their liberality after they had given themselves to the Lord. So first of all, why did they have joy? The cross and grace. That is the first Thing, the first motivator for us when we think about giving, it's the cross and grace. Second thing that motivated them is, I get to show you gospel love by giving to you like this. Have you ever given something to somebody and it makes you feel good? It may not even be thing big. Maybe it's your spare leftover stuff, but you give it to somebody else and they're like in heaven because they got it. And that makes you feel good. There's a joy that we get when we give to other people. And especially when you tie it to Jesus gave me more than I could ever imagine and I can't wait to turn around and give to you like that, there's real joy in that. 
in reflecting the, the, the love and the grace and the gift that Jesus gave to us. So he says they gave from joy. Second thing he says, they gave from their wealth, but they're poor people. So what wealth did they have? Their ability to freely and generously give. Do you realize that there's a richness to not being tied to your stuff? That there's a freedom when I'm not tied to my stuff. When I don't stress out about giving my best things to somebody else. When I don't stress out about giving more than I should be giving to something or someone. There's a real joy in there and a real freedom in there. So they gave from the wealth of their liberality, from the wealth of their freedom to give. After they had given themselves to God. Their lives don't revolve around themselves and their selfish desires. So these Macedonian people gave from their riches, not in material stuff, but the gifts that they had been given from Christ. So here's what I want. I need you to to begin to just draw the lines here. These people in their early, early, early forms of Christianity have quickly made the, the, the connected the dots between if Jesus did this for me, that means I have to do this for other people. And, and we struggle with this mentality. We struggle with, with make, connecting those dots. For them, it was very natural. If the gospel means that Jesus gave himself like this, I can give like that to other people. It's a natural outcome of the gospel for these people. And they did it with joy. Look in chapter 9, verse 5. So Paul says, I thought it was necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. How we give matters to God. When we give, whether it's things or, or money, how we give matters to God. Our heart's attitude matters in how we give to God. God cares almost as much, maybe more, about our heart's attitude toward giving as he does about what we give. And you know, he's got opinion about both those things. God has an opinion about what you give and how you give, and then the attitude of your heart as you give. So he really elevates both those things to a very similar level. How we give is very important to God. We want to be people who are generous and joyful in giving. Not generous and upset about it, and generous and guilty about it, and generous and bitter about it. We want to be generous and joyful. The Macedonians were. Paul's like, God loves a cheerful giver. So we want to be generous and joyful. Now, there are alternatives to how we handle giving and how we handle our resources, time, money, and all that stuff. We can be, uh, instead of uh, uh, generous and joyful, we can be hoarders and selfish. We can be in debt or debtors and unwise with our stuff. We can be bitter and jealous So what does that generosity look like? If I want to be generous and joyful, what does generosity look like? Because, Pastor Joe, I've got 20 bucks in my wallet and $300 in my my checking account. I don't have money to give to people. So what does that begin to look like? Generosity. Here's what I would say. This is what it's looked like for us, to us, as recipients of people's generosity. 
We've had meals brought to our house, and you may think that's not a big thing. It's a huge thing. It is a big deal. As people who take meals to people's homes, and we have for 30 years, I can tell you that it is sacrificial giving when somebody breaks their schedule to come to your house and make a meal for you and prepare it for you and give it to you. Like, there may not be something more generous, actually, in some ways. Simple, but very generous. So it can look like a meal brought to your house. We've had gift cards. Some people have just made us desserts. There's a woman in our church who makes lemon bars. She won't make us a meal, but she'll make lemon bars, right? And they're amazing. It's generous. It's a gift of joy. It pleases them to do it, and it's a generous gift for us. So just desserts, sometimes larger gifts than that. All of these things are generous. And you know what? Here's what I would say. A lot of times it's because we know who's giving, We know who's brought a meal to our house, and we know what they don't have. And it's more overwhelming sometimes when we know that people that don't have anything break out of their schedule, their time, and their money to bring something to us than those who have. And and so if you're rich, give. That's awesome. But my gosh, for those of us who struggle to give anything like that, man, it's an act of rich generosity. Generosity in Scripture. Now listen. Generosity in Scripture is never tied to income or material goods. That's a principle in Scripture that you can just write down. Generosity is never tied tied to your income or to material goods. So think about some of the things we hear in Scripture about generosity. Jesus says if somebody comes and asks for your cloak, what do you do? Give them your coat also. Now that means you're the poorest of the poor. You've got nothing else to give them. He asked for your outer garment and then your next garment, and you've got nothing. You have just the clothes on your body. You have nothing else to give him at that point. Your cloak and your coat, give both to him. If somebody says, carry this with me a mile, what are you supposed to do? Go an extra mile. The lady, the woman, the, the widow who comes, and all these people have these. Giving would have been a, a show in, in the Jewish temple, and they would have these huge brass like a, like a sousaphone, like a tuba, these huge receptacles, and guys would come by with their bags of money, and they'd empty them in there, and you'd hear them go, shh, as they fell down to the bottom. And that little old woman widow comes up with a half a penny and drops it in, and Jesus says, I tell you, nobody's given as much as she just gave. It's not tied to your income, and it's not tied to your belongings. Allowing people in the Old Testament to glean from your fields. These are your leftovers. So this is just the stuff that you left in the field by accident. We were supposed to let those who were poor come into our fields and take whatever they wanted out of our fields that was left on the ground. It's super generous to those people who were allowed to go do that. Here in this text, it says, give according to how you're led. However the Spirit leads you, give. Not tied to income, not tied to what you have, just what the Spirit leads you to give. I want you to think, when you think about your giving, there is a financial aspect to it, but I want you to just expand it so much broader than that. God has given us so many things that is not related uh, related to, to printed pieces of paper. Which, by the way, that's all money is. And some of it's pretend money. It doesn't even exist. Anybody in the stock market, you realize that, right? That's not real. If you went to the bank and tried to pull out all your money, it's probably not real either. 
but it's just printed pieces of paper. And God has given us so much more. And what he requires of us in our giving goes way beyond these printed pieces of paper. Deuteronomy 15.10. You don't have to turn there, but I think it highlights what we're talking about here as God talks to his people in the Old Testament. He says, You shall give generously to the poor, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to them, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. You are supposed to give generously to the poor. So we have a literal understanding of Scripture that helps us to read Scripture. And it helps us understand exactly how we're supposed to give, I think, in this Corinthians passage. So first of all, Deuteronomy 15. Who are we supposed to give to? The poor. Then you should ask the question, well, who are the poor? What constitutes poverty? Who is it that should get the resources that I have? What if we stretch this out? What if we change the poor to those in need? Well, what kind of needs can people have? See what I'm saying? Somebody doesn't need your meal, and somebody doesn't need your gift card, and somebody doesn't need your money, but they need a cup of coffee, and they need to sit down and talk to you. They're in need. God says, Old Testament, New Testament, give generously to those who are in need. Can we just say it that way? How are we supposed to give? Generously, without a grudging heart, not worrying about what God's going to do on the backside. Are you judging the person that you're giving to? Are you angry that you have to give help to other people? Are you giving generously or with a tight fist? What are we supposed to give? Now, isn't that interesting that there are never any parameters put on the extent to which we should or could give? I think there are some minimums in Scripture, but Jesus, God, never anywhere ever says, oh, wait, back off, you've given way too much. Or you only have to give 2%, 5%, 10%, 50%, 80%. These are bare minimums of the things and the way that we're supposed to approach giving. He never comes to us and says, you can give too much. How are we to give? Generously, what are we to give? It's without parameters. Maybe money's not the best way. There's emotional help. You can volunteer somewhere. There are places... Sometimes here at the church, which most of us are serving somewhere, but there are places and there are organizations that they don't need your money, they need you. They need bodies. They need people to come in and help them accomplish, and many times, the good gospel work that they're trying to accomplish. They need volunteers, clothing, labor, goods and services. Some of you have amazing talents or amazing work experience. There are all kinds of organizations that need that what you have to give. Maybe it's this. Maybe you can give best to others by doing really well at what you you do so you can make money to help other people make money so that they can go give to somebody else. Some of us, that's your gift. Some of your giftedness is you can be really successful at what you do. And by doing that, you allow people to make money. And by them making money, they can all be generous. That may be the very best way that you can give, is by being excellent at what you do. We're supposed to be generous and joyful in our giving. Look in verse 8, chapter 9. 
2 Corinthians. So he's like, give, give cheerfully, generously. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Verse 11, or verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us has produced thanksgiving to God. So how does God respond to our generosity? Some of us don't give because we're like, oh, I don't have enough. I can't give any more to you because I'm hurting. I can't give because if I give that away, I can't have that. God's very clear here about how he responds to the generous, cheerful giver. God responds to that kind of giving by giving more to us. Now, some of you are like, ding, ding, ding. I will totally give to God if he'll give me more. I have hit the jackpot, right? I put the quarter in the slot machine. Here, God bless this. All cherries, woohoo, right? And we're thinking in our heads because we're selfish, sinful, fleshly people. Oh, God's going to give me a lot of stuff if I give all my stuff away to the poor. You've got to read this text in context and then, quite frankly, have a brain in your head and read it according to the context of Scripture because nowhere in Scripture does it say that. Okay? So some of us preach that stuff, believe that stuff, read that stuff, and hear it and just eat it up with a spoon because we're fleshly, sinful people. And we really want God to be the great jackpot in the sky, you know? And it doesn't work that way. God responds to our generous giving, our joyful giving, by generously giving more to us. Then he says, why would I do that? Like God's like, I'm going to give to you. Here's why I'm going to give back to you. First of all, so you can have an abundance of things for good deeds. I'm going to give you more stuff so you can do more good stuff. I want you to have more because you've shown yourself to be faithful. You've given with uh, and generosity and joyously. I'm going to give you more so you can go do more. Second thing, so you'll have more seeds to sow. You'll have more gospel goodness to give away to other people. You'll have more people to say, God bless me, I can bless you. Christ died for me, he gave to me sacrificially, I want to give that way to you. You'll have more seed to sow. And then he says, so you can be even more generous. This sounds so dumb and it's a cliche that I hate, but it's proven itself to be true. You cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. I'm not saying to you that if you give me $1,000, he's going to give you $10,000. Don't hear that. I'm telling you, if you give generously and joyously to God $1,000 to do something good, he'll replenish that with something so you can do more good. How he chooses to do that, I'm not going to get in the business of telling God how to bless me. Right? However you want to bless me, God, give me time, give me resources, give me energy, give me knowledge, give me money, whatever. Let me bless people. Okay? So as you give... As you're depleting your stocks of resources, money, finances, time, everything else, to give to other people, God's like, I'm going to restore that so you can give to other people. And you can do it generously with other people. So here's where our thinking has to shift. Remember our statistic earlier, those people that make $75,000 or more give less of their income? We have got to shift our thinking as American Christians, as Western Christians when it comes to money. A six-digit income doesn't mean you need a six-digit lifestyle. 
Do y'all understand that? Do we really understand this? We're constantly on a quest to get more and have more and be comfortable and be safe and be secure in what we own. Or to at least have people think that we're secure with what we have. A six-digit income doesn't mean you need a six-digit lifestyle. All we are, just see yourself this way, man. All you are is a vessel for God's grace. And if that vessel has Teflon inside instead of gold, it doesn't matter because the treasure is Jesus. You're just the clay pot. That's it. It doesn't matter what you're gilded with or what's put on you. You're just still the clay pot. The treasure of Christianity isn't stuff. The treasure of Christianity is Jesus. And all we do is carry that to people and give that away to people. So it doesn't matter what you're putting inside yourself to pretty yourself up. We have to keep that so we'll be completely generous with people. Because if I keep in my mind, God's going to give me stuff so I can have more stuff, that will undermine my ability to be generous with other people. Verse 13, chapter 9. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience. So he's like, listen, people are going to see your generosity. They're going to glorify God to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for all the liberality of your contribution to them and to all, while they also, by prayer and on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Paul, in this, in this little section about giving and finances and resources, ends up with this great praise section. Let's praise the Lord because he has given to us so generously. He can change how we... Uh, uh, approach giving and give ourselves away and he's like it's all about the gospel it all comes back to the gospel i couldn't track down who said this i tried to but it just kept ending in the dead ends but it's a great saying if you are not generous you have not really experienced the gospel if you feel guilty about how little generosity you show you've never really understood the gospel let that sink in if you're not generous maybe we should change it Soften it. Maybe you haven't really experienced the gospel. If you feel guilty about how little generosity you show, you've never really understood the gospel. The gospel isn't about guilt. It's not about the law. It's not about living to standards to be good. The gospel is about freedom, liberality, joy, and generosity. God has given to me like that. I am free to give to you like that. And I'm trusting God in his grace to take care of me so I can give myself away and I can give my stuff away. The gospel is God's free grace, sacrificial love for me and you. So what does it look like to be biblically generous? Give as you're led. Give give as you're able. Give as you're led and give as you're able. Now, some of you are like, man, I just want, tell me where to start. Give me the bare minimum because I want to do that. I'll be the (laughs) 2.5%. Okay, I'll do that. Well, Jesus in the New Testament, so don't think this is Old Testament. New Testament, Jesus commends, he applauds, he praises people who give 10%, some who give 50%, and some who give 100%. Read the Gospel of Luke, and you'll see him praise people who give at each of those levels along the way. Never saying the 10%er should give 100 or the 50% should give 10. Just saying you're giving 10%. Good job. You're giving 50%. Awesome. Man, you give 100%. Awesome. Just praising people along the way as they're consistently giving to the Lord. 
But it's not by compulsion, it's out of love for God and for other people. How we use our things, how we use our money, I think this would be accurate, a New Testament accurate statement. How we use our things and how we use our money, our level of generosity is probably a commentary on our spiritual maturity. Let that just sink in. You should be asking yourself questions right now. You should be looking in your heart right now. Do I struggle with this area? Am I afraid to give? Do I judge people when I give? What kind of commentary is that on your level of spirituality, on your level of faith and trusting the Lord, on your level of giving people to people graciously the way God gave to you graciously? How we use our things, how we use our money, probably is a commentary on our spiritual maturity. Giving is not primarily a matter of finances. It is a matter of the heart. If you said that worship, if I said, how do, I, how do you know if you worship? If your answer to me is, well, I go to church on Sundays and I listen to a sermon and I sing all the songs, you've misunderstood what worship is. Just like that, if I said, well, how do you know if you're generous? And you said, well, sometimes I give money to people who hurt, and sometimes I try. If it's all just this, if I put money in an envelope, right, or I switch money on an electric account, electronic account, you've missed the point. The point of biblical generosity is how are you living out your, with your resources every day what God is doing in your heart? Every day with the stuff that you have, the things that you own, and how you use it. How is that being played out every day? Paul Tripp said this, It's really impossible to think that how we use money is not an act of worship. Eternity reminds us that God alone is worthy of the moment-by-moment worship investments that will shape and direct our lives. It's right to spend money in the enjoyment of creation, but only in a way that worships the one who made it. Did you catch that? Perfectly fine to spend money and enjoy creation, but only from a heart that says, I'm worshiping the one who created this. What does your spending reveal about who or what commands the worship of your heart? Is your heart touched this morning? Is your heart convicted this morning? Are you moved in any way this morning? Are you like, gosh, get me out of here. I don't want to hear any more about this today. Well, do you just have to ask yourself some questions, okay? It's very simple. This is one of the most applicable messages you're ever going to hear. First of all, are you giving? Now, I would say, are you giving here, but are you giving? Let's just start with that. Are you giving? Regularly, consistently, sacrificially, some way. Sacrifice is also relative, by the way. How much are you giving? Why are you giving? How can you give better? Now, the how can you give better thing speaks into your lifestyle. Some of us can't give because we live lifestyles that don't allow us to give. Some of us live lifestyles of comfort, ease, entertainment. That's the number one thing in our lives. Security, retirement, second home, make it through the day, pay the bill, whatever. We're living in a, such a lifestyle that we're constrained by how we live and our, 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 our level of living, our standard of living. So we can't give the way that we know we probably should give. So why are you giving? How can you give better? What do you believe about your money? 
and about your stuff and about your power and about your time. What do you believe about that? Where did it come from? How did you have the ability to get any of it that you have right now? How are you spending those things and what does that reveal about what you believe about those things? How are you giving in such a way that God has to show up to provide and God can take it and multiply it for more blessings? Man, have you ever given in such a way that it's like, God, I'm going to give this, but you're going to have to show up to make up the difference here. Maybe some of our bland, boring Christianity in America is that we really don't give in such a way that we stretch our faith and God's got to show up to bless us if we're going to give like that. Am I thinly disguising my wants as needs in order to avoid giving? Am I thinly disguising my wants as needs and that keeps me to avoid giving? What are some steps you can take? First of all, give your heart to God. That's your first act of giving. Give your heart to God. If you're not a Christian, that's where it starts. I'm not asking you to give and to be good and to help poor people. And that's how you get to heaven. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the first thing you have to do is give your heart to God. And from there, he changes you, your attitude, your behavior, all that stuff about money. But if you're a believer and there's some part in your room, the room in your house, the bank in your house, the vault, and you're the one that's got the key, you need to give that key to Christ, man. You got to give him control over the love of stuff and money and security and resources and all that. Give your heart to God. Second thing, give regularly. Schedule it. Make it a a regular routine for you, whether that's monthly, weekly, bi-weekly, once a quarter, once a year. Give regularly. Second thing, give in such a way that you're helping other people. Physically, spiritually, there's lots of ways to help people. Make giving a priority. I haven't had this question in a long time. I used to have people ask me, do I give off my net income or my gross income? I don't care, and I don't think Jesus is caring either, to be honest. Okay? Give. The fact of the matter is we give at a 2.5% level or a 1% level. I think he's going to be okay if we just start giving. Make it a priority. Next thing, give with joy. If you're feeling all beat up and bummed out right now, you don't understand the gospel. The gospel is all about liberality, freedom, joy, all that. God has given such great things to us. I can turn around and give to others with the same kind of joy. Maybe you need to start to ask God, give me that kind of joy. I want to give like that. I want to give generously, and I want to give joyfully. So maybe your prayer life needs to change. God, restore the joy that comes from giving. Not just my, my, my money, but myself. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, you're so kind to us. You're so good to us. You're so faithful to us. God, you've given us so much. Thank you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus. I pray that we would not take that for granted. We wouldn't live in a way that is in vain. You have given to us. God, I pray that you would give us the same spirit of generosity. There are people, things, organizations, this church, ministries, all kinds of things, God, and they need what I've got. Help me to give generously like that. Where I've been bitter, where I've been angry, where I've been fearful about giving, I want to confess it. 
and give it up to you and ask you to replace that part of my heart with the heart of flesh that loves you and loves other people. God, I pray we'd be a generous people, changed by the gospel, giving in light of the gospel. In your name I pray, amen.